And welcome to today's edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind, with permission of the Worcester News, and recorded on Thursday, the 23rd of September 2021, here at Colin Chance House. I'm Evelyn Brock, editor for this edition, and with me to read the articles are Moira Lowe and Jules Watkins. Our amazing sound engineer is John Plush and we are ably supported by members of the admin team led by Carol Hartle. A warm welcome to all our listeners, especially new ones. I hope everyone enjoys our offering. In addition to news items, you'll hear some useful telephone numbers, including theatres, readers' letters, birthdays and thought for the week. Obituaries nowadays are still included, but following requests, they're now placed in a different spot following the closing music. So, if you wish to hear them, please stay tuned then. Don't forget that recordings are usually available as podcasts, but at present, talking books are not available on memory sticks, but rather on CDs and tape. Also, do let us know your birthdays so that we can greet you specially when the time comes. This service is free to users, but if you would like to make a voluntary donation, this can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester WR5 1DA. We do like hearing from you, and a message can be left on our answer phone. Worcester, that's 01905-767766, or, or you could add a note to your wallet. If there's a problem with any aspect of your receiving our recordings, please use the answer phone on the number I've just given and leave a message to that effect. And now we have just one birthday this week. For the 30th of September, Charles Longstone. And a happy birthday to you, Charles, when your day comes along. And now thought for the week from Moira. Okay, this is from Psalm 77, 13 to 15. Your ways, O God, are holy. What God is so great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. Thank you. Now some useful telephone numbers. The number here at Wilds Lane, Worcester, that's 01905 The police non-emergency number, 101. Crime Stoppers, 0800-555-111. Worcester Hub, for all council matters, Worcester 765765. Worcester Live, Worcester 611427. 
Malvern Theatres, 01684-892277. Out of Hours Medical Services, 111. And Samaritans, 116123. And that is a free phone number. Now then, for our headline articles. Okay, well, we have a story from Friday, September 17th, and the headline there is Racecourse Hit Again by Burglars. Opportunistic burglars stole a giant television after breaking into a building at the Worcester Racecourse, but it is hoped that they may have easily be spotted as they would have had to lug the 70-inch television across the pitchcroft. General Manager Michael Thomas said that it would have taken at least two people to carry the 70-inch state-of-the-art Michelin Brown television. Security has now been stepped up and televisions removed after burglars broke into the traditional weighing room at the weekend. It would have taken some getting out as you can't drive any vehicle near to the building and make a quick getaway. They would have had to carry it to Grandstand Road to a waiting vehicle or to another exit. This is a 70-inch television, so not something you can hide beneath your coat or under your arm. It would have taken at least two people to carry it and definitely would have needed at least two people to take it out of the window. I can only presume it had happened in the dead of night as it would have taken a great audacity to take it through the race course in daylight. We knew it was there on Friday and we were racing on Monday and we opened the doors and getting preparations ready we noticed it had unfortunately gone. We know that they got in by climbing through a window. It certainly wouldn't have been easy but it speculated a break in but unfortunately for us the television was there. The last television was used by the stewards to review footage of all televisions, and sorry, and all televisions have now been removed from the room. The burglary took place at Worcester Racecourse between Friday and Monday, September the 10th to the 13th. The previous attack by vandals happened over the night of August the 12th and the 13th. As well as kicking out the walls of the jockey's enclosure, the individual pods, vandals also smashed fridges and kicked over benches and chairs. Anyone who saw suspicious activity in the area over the weekend or witnessed people carrying a live television near Pitchcroft are asked to call police. Police would also like to speak to anybody with information about the burglary or who knows of the location of the stolen television. Contact officers by visiting https colon double forward slash triple w dot westmercia dot police dot uk forward slash tua slash tell us about uh, hyphens between tell and us and about. Alternatively, independently, ind- sorry, information can be given to the independent charity crime stoppers anonymously via 0800 555 one or via their website. A burglar made a getaway on a mobility scooter after he was caught climbing through a woman's window late at night. John Francis, who also had a working taser in his city home, stole a bank card during a burglary in Hillary Road, Worcester, and used the Santander card to carry out a string of frauds, splashing out on designer sports gear, whiskey and a drum. The 44-year-old of Wilds Lane, Worcester, even attempted to burgle another city house while the woman was asleep in her bedroom. The disabled night raider admitted a catalogue of crimes at Worcester Magistrates Court on Thursday, leaving his scooter parked outside. Hobbling into the dock, Francis was asked if he was guilty to all matters. He replied, absolutely, that's what I told the police straight away. Francis pleaded guilty to a burglary on May the 26th this year, during which he stole a laptop, an iPad, an iPhone 11 and bank cards. 
Francis was captured on CCTV using the stolen cards to commit six frauds by false representation across Worcester between May the 27th and 28th, the day after the burglary. A search of his home on June the 9th this year revealed that he had a viable homemade taser which could discharge electricity. He admitted possession of the weapon and also pleaded guilty to attempting to burglar house in Devon Road, Worcester, on May the 30th this year, but was disturbed climbing in through a window. Ralph Robbins Landricombe said the burglary at Hillary Road was carried out between 2am and 7am, the defendant entering through an insecure rear kitchen window. Using a bank card stolen in that burglary, the defendant fraudulently purchased various items from different Worcester shops. Francis bought a £45 drill from Wicks in Worcester, some Adidas trainers worth £36 from Sport Direct, a hoodie and carrier bag from Mountain Warehouse worth £42, a cap and an Adidas mask worth £28 from JD Sports, some earphones from Asda worth £36 and a £15 bottle of whisky from St Paul's News. Describing the attempted burglary in Devon Road, the prosecutor said, The victim was asleep in her bedroom and she saw a hand coming through her bedroom window. The defendant puts his head through the window. She shouted at him and he left. She saw him going off in a mobility scooter. The window had been unlocked because of the warm weather. Having been identified on CCTV, a search of his address in Wiles Lane revealed a taser. Magistrates declined jurisdiction for the case. A pre-sentence report was ordered ahead of the next hearing at Worcester Crown Court on October the 14th. Francis was granted bail on condition he live and sleep at his address in Wilds Lane and that he remains indoors between 10pm and 7am. My headline is from Monday, September the 20th, and it's Care Workers Jab Job Fears. Hundreds miss vaccine deadline. Hundreds of county care workers could be at risk of losing their jobs due to not getting a Covid vaccine, it has emerged. The government required all care home staff to be fully vaccinated against coronavirus by November the 11th meaning Thursday, September the 16th, was the last opportunity for a first dose in time, unless medically exempt. Worcestershire County Council has now said that 340 staff, around 5% of the workforce, did not receive the first dose of a vaccine before the deadline which means they will not be able to receive the second in time before November the 11th. A spokesman for the authority said the 340 figure does include medically exempt who would not need the jabs to continue working, the numbers of which the authority is not currently aware. Meanwhile, the Unison Union have said ministers should abandon the draconian no-jab, no-job policy, while the GMB <coughs> warned of an exodus of workers. Unison said the mandatory jab policy was partly to blame for a severe staffing crisis, adding that many care agencies can no longer provide emergency cover. 
The union even warned that care homes could close and urged the government to concentrate on persuading hesitant workers of the benefits of having the jab rather than resorting to threats and ultimatums. Unison General Secretary Christina Macania said, Everyone that can have the vaccine should have the vaccine. But the government has persisted with a heavy-handed approach, despite warnings from care employers of the dire consequences. The GMB estimated prior to the deadline that up to 70,000 care home workers in England may not be fully vaccinated by the deadline. The union warned that the policy could be the last straw for workers after years of inadequate pay and conditions. GMB National Officer Rachel Harrison said, Forcing vaccination of our key workers is not the way to address vaccine hesitancy. Care is already facing a staffing black hole of 170,000 by the end of the year. Even in a best-case scenario, we will lose tens of thousands of key workers if the jab is forced on them. A Department of Health and Social Care spokesman said over 90% of care home staff have received their first dose of a COVID-19 vaccine ahead of the November the 11th deadline. And we encourage even more staff to get vaccinated to protect their colleagues and those they care for. Temporarily, those who meet the criteria for a medical exemption will be able to self-certify unless we introduce a new system, which we will. This will ensure those with medical exemptions can continue working in care homes. Vaccines save lives and it is our responsibility to do all we can to reduce the risk for vulnerable people in care homes. And this headline is from Tuesday, September the 21st, and it reads, Return Home to Burglars. And the, the subheading there, in fact, is uh, Woman in Shock After Disturbing Intruders. And it reads, uh, A woman was left shocked after she returned to her home to find two burglars inside. The suspected burglars fled after the homeowner challenged them at the home in Northwick Avenue at around 9.45 on Sunday. Police have launched an appeal for help to find the two people who ran off towards the Barbourne Works building. A spokesman from South Worcestershire Proactive CID said officers believe the intruders were men. A woman at the Northwick address said she was too shaken up to speak yesterday. Scenes of crime officers spent the morning examining the scene. It has not yet been confirmed whether anything has been stolen. Posting on Facebook, South Worcestershire Proactive CID said detectives were currently investigating a report of a burglary which occurred at a residential property in Northwick Avenue, Worcester. At around 9.45pm, the homeowner returned to the property to find two people inside. Once challenged, the two intruders fled the scene and ran towards the Barbourne Works building. Their descriptions are one wearing a light-coloured top and the other a dark-coloured top. The post continued, Did you see any suspicious persons in the Northwick Avenue area at around 9.30pm on September the 19th? Did you see two people running around 9.45 in the area? Do you live in the area and have any CCTV footage of people running near to your property? 
Anyone with information or CCTV footage of the incident has been asked to call 101 or anonymously contact Crime Stoppers via the website. OK, my headline is from Wednesday. Uh, every little helps with security. Staff at Worcester Supermarket have been given body-worn cameras to protect them against assaults. Selected Tesco staff at the supermarket in St Peter's will be wearing the body cams to protect them when dealing with conflict. The body cams will be rolled out for shop floor and security staff at all Tesco supermarkets across the UK by the end of October 2021. Store manager Steve Winfield shared a picture of him and another staff member wearing the yellow body cams. He said he was really pleased that from Monday, colleagues in selected areas of the St Peter's store will be wearing the body-worn cameras. Mr Winfield said, The most important thing for me each day as the store manager is the safety of my colleagues at all times. I think that the introduction of the body-worn cameras will really help us to achieve everyone, every day, home safely. Tesco is bringing in a range of safety measures to protect its staff across the country from verbal and physical assaults. Headsets will be introduced into all convenience stores, with trials being run in large stores. Staff will also have the ability to control access to all Tesco convenience stores thanks to a remote control door access system at times when assaults are most likely to occur early in the morning or late at night. Additional security measures at stores include safety screens in the most vulnerable convenience stores and 24-hour petrol station kiosks to protect colleagues working at the checkouts. A Tesco spokesman said, The safety of our customers and colleagues is always our priority. So over the past 12 months, we've introduced a range of additional security measures in all of our stores. Earlier this year, Tesco's was one of a 100 of the UK's biggest retailers calling on the Prime Minister to take action to tackle the shocking violence and abuse against shop workers. The retailers reported a surge in incidents of violence in recent years, which they say has been exacerbated by the pandemic when shop floor staff had to enforce rules such as social distancing and wearing face masks. In the letter, the industry leader said... One business reports a 76% increase in abuse and a 10% increase in violent attacks during COVID-19, of which over half involved a weapon, and many of our colleagues have been coughed at or spat on. This was a very serious issue for retailers long before the pandemic, and the situation cannot be allowed to get any worse. There is a clear need now for better protection in law for retail workers. And our last headline article is from today, the, the 23rd of September. And the headline is Cloud Over Meat Supplies, Gas Shortage Sparks Run on Turkeys, Fears Over Shortage. A city butchers has seen a run on turkeys this week as the carbon dioxide gas shortage crisis hits home. A sharp rise in gas prices meant two large UK fertiliser plants, which produce CO2 as a by-product and supply 60% of the national supply, shut, cutting supply to the food and drink industry. The government has now stepped in to provide limited financial support, 
understood to potentially be in the tens of millions of pounds towards CF fertilizers running costs so they can now resume and present, prevent a food supplies shortage. But the agreement is only in place for three weeks while the market adapts to the surge in global gas prices. And it is unclear what happens next month after the deal runs out. CO2 is vital to the food industry, being used to stun animals in slaughterhouses and to keep packaged products fresh. Matthew Nelms of M&M Meats in St Swithin Street, Worcester, who has been in the industry more than two decades, said it had seen no shortage of supply of meat so far, but believed the news was driving a surge in trade at his butchers. We've been very busy. We've sold 50 turkey breasts in recent days, Mr Nelms said. I don't know if people are buying early for Christmas. People may be panicking a little bit, thinking, will there be a shortage? He continued, butchers seem not to have been affected so far, and it might affect us in three weeks if things go wrong. We are proactive, using three or four suppliers, including Worcestershire ones. Footfall seems to be up, and people are spending £50 to £70. I don't know, too, if it's because people are saying they are seeing supermarket shelves empty. With Christmas looming, one of our biggest times of the year, it could be disastrous. A spokesman for H. Deus, the master butcher in St John's, said, We deal with small suppliers and haven't really noticed any disruption in the delivery chain or being able to buy any products. And no one we've spoken to in the industry has mentioned there is likely to be, so we're not concerned at all. CO2 is also used to put the fizz in beer and cider, but similarly, the breweries we spoke with said they had no concerns. Sarah Saleh, head brewer of the Hop Shed in Suckley, said it didn't affect it directly as it sends its beer off to be bottled. But so far, the bottle company it deals with hasn't reported any shortage or concerns. Managing Director Dan Frost of Lakehouse Brewery in Malvern added, We have been all good and we have no concerns at the moment. Right, now for a sports item. Well, a uh, brief but uh, potentially important uh, a sports news item here. Um, City bus uh, Guardiola not apologising, it says here. Um, Pep Guardiola insists he will not apologise for urging more supporters to attend Manchester City's Premier League clash with Southampton today. The City boss said in midweek that he would like a bigger crowd than the 38,062 that attended Wednesday's Champions League encounter against RB Leipzig at the Etihad Stadium. Those comments have irritated some fans who feel their manager has questioned their loyalty, but Guardiola says that this is a misinterpretation of his comments. He said at a press conference, Did I say after the game against Leipzig that I was disappointed that the stadium was not full? An interpretation is an interpretation. I am not going to apologise for what I said. What I said was what we would love and we need the support. It doesn't matter how many people come and I invite them to come and enjoy the game because we need the support. Guardiola says he would never criticise supporters for being unable to attend matches. 
And now, some readers' letters. Can't see much point to Parkway, to start off with. Dear Editor, In the past, I've used Warwick Parkway to travel for meetings after several bad experiences on the Cotswold line. I decided to try Worcestershire Parkway, but it was impossible to pay for parking, as the sun was shining directly into the screen on the machine, making it completely unreadable. I then went to the station for help, but at 10am on a weekday morning, there were absolutely no staff to assist me, despite there being three ticket offices, one of which had a jacket draped over a chair. The situation was absolutely ludicrous. The result was... I made the journey by car, increasing air pollution. When I last used Warwick Parkway, there were staff, a cafe, and you paid for your car parking together with your train ticket. Until I can be sure that Worcestershire Parkway offers reasonable service to passengers, I shall go back to Warwick Parkway. Okay, um, my first letter then is is on a similar uh, vein. It's from um, John Nixon of Wire Piddle. And he says, Dear Editor, I am totally confused. Today I tried to book two single tickets with senior rail card from Penzance to Worcester Parkway. There are several no-change trains per day from Penzance to Edinburgh, Leeds, Manchester, etc., all passing through Worcester Parkway, but not one stops. Why? I must change at Cheltenham to a slower train, which does stop. Why spend millions of pounds on a super facility, but as of now, little value? Bristol Parkway is superb. I suspect train companies failing to agree and county council doing nothing. Please prove me wrong. Well, this letter um, from Tuesday, September 21st is entitled Democracy Dismantled. Dear Editor, a billionaire chancellor is taking £20 a week from the working poor and putting up their taxes while retired millionaires pay nothing for a social care levy that may not even go on social care. In other news, the new election bill will require people to show an approved form of photographic identification before they vote. Such evidence of identification can be expensive, so this is basically a tax on voting. Given the expense, it is also a way to stop people voting. Our democracy is being dismantled by the very rich are looked after. If you're not angry, you're either very rich or you're not paying attention. And that's from Neil Lawrenson, Worcester Green Party. Right, another letter is on a different topic and it's about charity shops and recycling. Dear Editor, says M. Bennett of Worcester, Charity shops can't be blamed for being careful about what they accept, as they're bound by the same health and safety rules as any other shop and can't risk inadvertently selling something that could be hazardous. I refer to the article, Charity Shops Are Now So Fussy. However, this doesn't mean that the only alternative is landfill. It's still perfectly legal to give away anything you no longer want by offering them on a site like Freegal or FreeCycle. This also saves the hassle and further environmental impact of taking things to the tip, as it's up to the recipient to come round and collect them, 
which means the further satisfaction of briefly meeting whoever you've chosen to get further use and enjoyment from something for which you no longer have any use yourself. Far better than just binning them on several accounts. Okay, so my next letter is uh, from Sir Jeff Hurst, who's the Sue Ryder Ambassador. Dear Editor... Walking in the fresh air is something that many of us have appreciated more than ever since the pandemic began. As someone who tries to walk every day, I value the physical and well-being benefits that it brings, as well as the time to think and reflect. I'm writing to encourage your readers to put their best foot forward and take part in Sue Ryder's Walk to Remember 2021. Healthcare charity Sue Ryder is a cause that is close to my heart. My daughter was cared for in her final days at one of Sue Ryder's hospices, Sue Ryder Leckhampton Court Hospice in 2010. The compassionate care she received meant an awful lot to me and my family. You can join hundreds of other supporters and walk 5k or 10k at one of Sue Ryder's organised events, including Starlight Hike in Cheltenham. You can also organise your own walk to remember and do 5k or 10k or a distance of your choice on any days during October. You can sign up now at suerider.org forward slash walk. Well, this letter, also from uh, Tuesday, September 21st, is from Dr Charmaine Griffiths, who's the Chief Executive of the British Heart Foundation, uh, entitled Action on Heart Care. Dear Editor, the COVID-19 pandemic has caused huge disruption to life-saving heart care, causing untold heartbreak for so many. Latest figures show that around 31,000 people in the West Midlands were waiting for heart tests and treatment, including heart surgery, at the end of June. We need a clear cardiovascular strategy for England to support recovery from the pandemic <coughs> alongside substantial long-term investment in the health and care system, with targeted funding to tackle the backlog of heart care. To help us, we're calling on readers to email the MP, urging them to show they're committed to addressing the vast backlog and help us end the untold heartbreak. You can do that by visiting bhf.org.uk forward slash ask your MP. Without this urgent action from the government, we're deeply concerned that many heart patients might not get the life-saving care they need before it's too late. And one last letter about the NHS. And it's called Entitled to Opinions, and it's from John L. Reynolds of Worcester. Dear Editor, read Jeff Rousewell's letter, Ignore the Carpers. NHS is a beacon. This may well be Mr. Rousewell's view, but other patients have a very different one. A friend of mine was in N.E. from 7pm one evening until 4am the next morning, waiting to have stitches in a cut on his head. I doubt he thinks the NHS is so fantastic. People are not carping on about the NHS when they point out its failings. They are merely relating their own experiences and expressing their own opinions, as Mr Rousewell has done. This is their right and should not be ignored. Okay, so this is a story from Monday, September the 20th, um, entitled Speed Cameras in Place. Bright yellow speed enforcement cameras have begun appearing along the A449. Already the work to install the cameras on the southbound carriageway have been completed. 
Roadworks are continuing to place the cameras on northbound carriageway between Ombersley and Hartlebury. Drivers' average speed will be recorded by the cameras to catch those breaking the 50-mile-an-hour speed limit on the road. The system is due to go live at the end of September, although mobile speed cameras are still catching speeding drivers during this time. If prosecuted for speeding, drivers could face a minimum penalty of £100 fine and three penalty points. They could be disqualified from driving if they build up to 12 or more penalty points within a period of three years. The project is a partnership between West Mercia Police, Worcestershire County Council and speed technology firm uh, Genoptic and has been funded by the West Mercia Police and Police Crime Commissioner Road Safety Fund. Superintendent Gareth Morgan said there are many families that unfortunately know far too well the devastating consequences that speeding and collisions can lead to. Reducing the number of people killed or seriously injured on our roads is our priority and reducing the speed that people travel is a key part of this. A woman says she has been left in financial crisis by faulty car park machines, which took out six weeks of fees in one lump sum. Hannah Scott from Upper Sapi works in the city centre and parks her car five days a week in one of the two Worcester City Council car parks. The 35-year-old was absolutely horrified to find a lump sum of over £100 taken from her account on Monday morning from Newport Street and Tybridge Street car parks. Worcester News revealed last week that an Elevon system error has caused a delay in money being taken for parking sessions. Elevon operates the merchant banking software used in the City Council's car park machines. A Worcester City Council spokeswoman said it has contacted Miss Scott directly to discuss her situation. Miss Scott assumed everything had been normal with the payments as her banking app had continued to send her automatic notifications each time she paid for parking. However, the money had not been taken out of her account and was instead taken out in a lump sum totalling over £130. She said, As soon as my phone pinged and said I was low on funds and almost £200 had gone, I wondered what had happened. I was scrolling and scrolling through pages of £3.50 and £6 charges from the car parks dating back to July the 27th. I'm not disputing I have parked there, but you don't expect it to come out all in one go. She continued, I wasn't panicked at first because I thought it was an error and it would be returned, but I was absolutely horrified when I realised they'd taken it in a lump sum. The money was there at the time, otherwise it would have declined, but now it has taken it out of my rent money, leaving me in financial crisis. Miss Scott added the situation had been the final brink of the month from hell, after also having issues with childcare costs. She believes the council and Elevon should have publicised the issues before the money was taken and offered either a payment plan for those with a significant amount taken or money returned as a goodwill gesture. I've never heard of bank transactions being taken out nearly two months after you've made the payment. This cannot be allowed to happen to people, she added. The City Council spokeswoman added, We'd like to apologise to all customers who may have been affected by this issue. We take this matter extremely seriously and are working hard to ensure that it does not reoccur. The next article is Burglaries Spark Tips. Police have released guidance on how to keep homes safe while they investigate a number of burglaries in Worcestershire. 
Among those being investigated include the woman who returned to her home in Northwick Avenue on Sunday to intruders in her home. The one you've already heard about in a headline article, the giant television stolen from Worcester Racecourse earlier this month, as well as the ram raid at a spa petrol station in Pershaw two weeks ago. West Mercia Police said these tips will help decrease the number of potential burglaries in the county. Detective Constable Jodie Lothian said, We understand that when the weather is warm, people want to get fresh air into their homes. But it is really important to keep you and your property safe. If you follow our advice, you can protect your home while still enjoying these final warm months. Many of the tips given are inexpensive to adopt and just good habits to get into. As a force, we work tirelessly to keep members of our community safe. Our We Don't Buy Crime team is our dedicated response to tackling serious acquisitive crime, such as a burglary and theft, as well as associated harm. As part of the We Don't Buy Crime work, we liaise with second-hand shops, fuel stations and utilise covert tactics to tackle the harm associated with crimes like burglary and prevent the targeting and exploitation of vulnerable people. I'd like to also reassure the public that we are working hard to detect those responsible for committing recent house burglaries and bring them to justice. If you have any information that can help our investigation or someone has tried to sell you high-value jewellery and watches recently which have left you suspicious, please call 101 or visit our website to make a report. Alternatively, if you have information but don't feel comfortable speaking to police, you can speak to the independent charity Crime Stoppers. It's 100% anonymous, they never ask your name and they cannot trace your call or IP address. And you can contact them online or by calling 0800 So here are some top tips given by the police officers to keep your home secure. Ensure all windows and doors are locked when you leave your property. Ensure ground floor windows and doors and easily accessible up upper floor windows are locked at night. Ensure ladders are locked away at all times. Remove opportunities for burglars to hide by increasing lines of sight at the front of your property by trimming hedges and trees. Grow prickly hedges, roses, around the perimeter of your back garden because these are known as defensive plants and provide a level of deterrence. Well, this story is from Monday, September 20th and <clears throat> involves uh, a former University of Worcester student accused of a sex attack on trial at Worcester Crown Court entitled He Kept on Locking Door. 
An alleged sex attacker locked a bedroom door multiple times as worried flatmates knocked and found a woman naked inside a court herd. Rhys John, then a University of Worcester um, physiotherapy student, denied sexually assaulting the woman while she was drunk and being sick in a bedroom. The 20-year-old of Needham Drive crew is accused of sexually assaulting her on December the 16th, 2019, as his ongoing trial continues at Worcester Crown Court. A witness present at the house party in the evening of the alleged assault gave evidence from the witness box on Friday. He said there were about 15 to 20 people present during the evening with plans that the group later head out to sin or bushwhackers. Describing the complainant as pretty drunk, he said she was later throwing up. The defendant, he said, had told him he was looking after her before going out with the others. When he returned to check on her and the others had left, he said he locked on the, locked on the door and together with another flatmate and there was no response. He said he tried the handle, but that's when we found it was locked. We were a bit worried she would be throwing up on herself or choking on her own sick. We banged on the door. It took three minutes for an answer, he said. The witness said John opened the door and the complainant was naked in the toilet except for her underwear. We were a bit shocked. It was very strange, he told the jury. The witness said John was asked to leave and he said, that's no problem, I'll grab my things and head off. The flatmates then left before returning five minutes later and knocking on the door again to check on the complainant, he said. He added, the door was locked again for some reason. The witness described knocking again and that it took a couple of minutes plus for John to answer the door. She looked passed out, he said. He told the jury the defendant had said he had put her to bed. The next time they checked the door was unlocked, but he was under the duvet with her, he told the jury. The witness said another flatmate, a male flatmate, told John to leave and he jumped straight out. He said of the complainant, she looked pretty unconscious and didn't really know what was happening. Tom Kenning, defending, asked the witness if he was in a relationship with the complainant. The witness said he wasn't at the time, but Kenning also asked him about the incident at a nightclub after the alleged attack. You roughed him up, didn't you, said Mr Kenning. I didn't touch him. That's incorrect, said the witness. He accepted that he had told him not to come near her again, but added, I didn't lay a finger on him. Mr Kenning also put it to him that John left the room when asked to. No, he didn't leave, said the witness. He kept locking the door multiple times. The trial continues, it says here. However, this is um, now been updated and the case is finished and the defendant was found not guilty. Okay. A counsellor gives surgeon warning. People have been warned about rogue traders after a counsellor said he saw a dodgy tree surgeon knocking on doors to tap for business. Warndon Parish Council's Vice Chairman, Councillor Andrew Cross, said he was out in Warndon Villages on Saturday morning when he witnessed someone knocking on doors being pushy to do work. Councillor Cross said dodgy tree surgeons are about. The one I saw was touting for work in the south of the parish on Saturday morning, offering not particularly cheap rates. There were so many alarm bells. Anyone good will be seriously busy at present, not touting for work. They had no company name on the van and he was using pressurised tactics. Councillor Cross said he was anxious people do not get scammed by rogue traders, so he's urging people to follow tips. Councillor Cross said, I want people to be vigilant. Do the sensible thing, be wary of these selling those selling tactics. It is advised to check they are legitimate, so check with Companies House to make sure you are dealing with a proper company. West Mercia Police tips include checking the identity of a doorstep caller by telephoning the company they are purporting to be from, 
using the telephone numbers listed in your local directory or provided independently by your service provider. Checking whether traders are members of the Consumer Codes Approval Scheme or the Government Trustmark Scheme. People are also advised to discuss any work they feel needs carrying out on their property with a relative or friend who can help them find a reputable trader. They are also advised not to agree to any work or sign anything on the spot and not to let themselves be pressurised into having any work carried out. The police urge people never to pay cash up front and never go to the bank or cash point with the trader. If you suspect a rogue trader is at your door, the advice is to call 999. And now a plan for mental health services which seems to have produced a range of response. Hospital at home plan. Health bosses are considering closing some of the city's mental health beds and replacing them with an at-home service. Herefordshire and Worcestershire Health and Care NHS Trust has revealed plans which could see one of Worcester's mental health wards closed and replaced with a hospital-at-home service. The Hospital at Home service, which provides care for people across the county with mental health issues such as schizophrenia, bipolar, affective disorder, severe depression and personality disorder, was established in response to the COVID pandemic in a bid to keep older people out of hospital. The Health and Care Trust has asked the public for its views on the proposals, which, if backed, would see the Athlon ward closed and the at-home service continue. Ward-based care would continue at the New Haven site in Bromsgrove regardless of the outcome. The pilot hospital at-home scheme has been paid for using the money available from the closure of the Athlon ward during the pandemic. Health bosses carried out an assessment of the at-home service during its pilot run and found no negative impacts. The Trust said, at presentation, it was felt that overall the impacts would be positive for most groups, with no negative impacts identified. Primarily, the positive impacts emerged from the view that there are benefits to being cared for in a familiar home environment by staff who have the skills and experience of working with this age group. It was also recognised that a change in the care environment could be traumatic for many, and even more so for the elderly and those with a disability particularly if the home has been adapted for need, whether that be for a physical or mental health problem. So too there can sometimes be delays in finding a bed for some patients, whereas care at home can commence quickly. Of the 16 members of staff surveyed, more than a third scored the service 5 out of 10 or less, with two-thirds giving the at-home service 6 or above. Patients and carers surveyed by the Trust said they felt hospital and ward care were considered good services as it took a lot of stress away and that consistency of staff was greater in a ward than in the at-home service. Others said the benefit of home-based care was that it was familiar and meant patients, families and carers could be together 
which was less stressful than being apart for some. Well, this is a story from Monday, September 20th, and it's about building homes, and simply entitled 120 Homes Can Be Built. A government inspector has ruled in favour of a developer over its controversial plan to build 120 homes in a village after the council took too long to make a decision. Lion Court Homes has had its plan to build up to 120 homes in Rushwick near Worcester, backed by the government's planning inspector following an inquiry, despite hundreds of objections from villagers. An appeal was launched by the developer after Malvern Hills District Council missed its legal deadline for making a decision. The council will also be forced to pay the costs, although the figure is not yet known, after it was deemed to have acted unreasonably in a separate ruling by the inspector. Government Inspector Andrew Dorr said the harm the development would cause in the village would be limited and the council would not show it had a five-year land supply, which requires councils to have enough sites ready for development to meet the housing need for the next five years, and backed the plan. More than 250 objections were made against the application, with many saying the village did not have the infrastructure to cope. The application was put forward two years ago with discussions between Lion Court and Malvern Hills District Council, meaning the deadline for a decision was pushed back late spring. Last spring, apologies. But when a development was still not made, and a decision for the development was not made, the development appealed to the government inspector over the non-determination due to the long time it had taken for a decision to be reached. The District Council's Planning Committee met in February and was asked to agree the reasons for refusing the 120 home plan, which the Council said it would be using during the appeal. Once the appeal was lodged with the Government's Planning Inspector, the power to decide on the application was taken out of the Council's hands. The mix of one to four bed homes will be built on fields to the eastern edge of the village between Clapham Lane, Bransford Road and the A4440. An appeal over another controversial plan to build 42 homes in the village, which was refused on two occasions by Melbourne Hills District Council, was thrown out by planning inspector in August. Paths along a busy street are being labelled a car park by people forced to walk in the road because of pavement parking. Cars and other vehicles are being parked on paths along Fort Royal Hill, forcing pedestrians into the road. A traffic regulation order was put in place on the road on Friday, giving the City Council greater powers to fine people parked on pavements. Penny Perrette, who lives along Fort Royal Hill, said, There is no pavement on our road anymore, it's just become a car park. I always have to walk in the road. When I have my grandson, it's a nightmare because I can't use a pushchair on the pavement. I don't want to teach him that it's OK to walk in the road. Kevin Grover, who lives at the top of the hill, said he almost always has to push his son's wheelchair in the road because of vehicles parked so far on the pavement. Traffic often goes up and down Fort Royal Hill quite fast, which makes this risky, he added. A Worcester City Council spokesman said, Worcestershire County Council put a traffic regulation order in place last week at Fort Royal Hill. This will give City Council civil enforcement officers greater powers to find people who have parked on single or double lines. As a result, we have now stepped up patrols in the area. Cars parking on pavements, particularly in narrow roads, is an issue across the city. In Fort Royal Hill, there are fears that new single yellow lines painted on London Road will exacerbate the issue and force even more people to park on nearby Fort Royal Hill. Resident Tracy Biggs said the issue needs to be looked at across the city. 
I'd like to be able to work in partnership with the County Council to try to find solutions for these traffic-related problems that so many of us face. I think a cross-Worcester strategy for parking and traffic management needs to be developed to look at how resident parking could be developed across much wider areas. At the same time, a review of public and alternative transport is needed to enable people to be able to travel without using cars. For our street, Fort Royal Hill, I think there are solutions for traffic problems. We just need a council who will listen and work with us. A spokesperson for Worcestershire County Council said, The single yellow line painted on London Road is part of an experimental traffic regulation order. We will monitor and review the impact after six months, including displaced parking to the surrounding areas. We are happy to engage with residents over highway matters. We suggest concerns are initially raised with your local council. Well, now a dip back into Worcester's history. And today the article is by Paul Harding, writing Discover History. And its title is Explosive History of Blackpool. Today, Blackpool Road is an area covered in housing, running parallel with the railway line that leaves Shrub Hill Station and passes through the long tunnel near Brickfields Park. The term Blackpool in many parts of Britain refers to an area of pools filled with peaty water, giving the water its black colouring. However, the soil in this area is not peaty. We know the area outside Worcester was quite wooded, so these pools may have sat in the shade of trees or filled with leaf litter, creating dark pools of water. The road was originally a small lane, heading out of the city. A couple of small cottages and farms ran along this road, including Weaver's Farm. Most of Weaver's farmland disappeared below the housing estates, car dealerships and the 1980s Blackpool pub. The railways arrived in Worcester in the 1850s and it was normal for houses to appear near them. By the start of the 20th century, at least 15 new houses are recorded being built near to the Brickfields Railway Bridge. These were occupied by railway workers, along with an assortment of occupations, including market gardeners. The Great Shell Scandal at the start of the Great War led to a number of munitions factories being constructed across Britain. The locations had to be remote and with good transport links. In 1916, the farmland near railway and canal was chosen off Blackpool Lane and the King's Norton Metal Company was given the order to begin work on Cartridge Factory 3. Work on these factory buildings was extremely quick and some of these buildings still stand today on the industrial estate. In May 1917, the workforce was more than 80% female. Production began with around 3 million cartridges being made every week. By the end of the war, 2,462 women worked in the factory out of a total of 3,235 employees. They were now producing 9 million cartridges a week. After the war, Cadbury's brought the factory and converted it for their use. 
The canal network allowed Cadbury to move the ingredients they required along the canal from Bourneville. Cadbury were committed to employee welfare and built a small estate of bungalows nearby. These also included a cricket pitch, pavilion and a modern canteen building. By the 1930s, more houses were being built as the city slums were cleared round Copenhagen Street and Key Street. The Blackpool Road was filling up with these new houses. But farmland was still common across the area as the Second World War broke out in September 1939. The Cadbury factory reverted back to war use and became Royal Ordnance Factory No. 20. In the month of April 1943, 12.8 million 303 tracer rounds and 1.9 million 9mm rounds were produced at the Blackpool factory. Nearby, several engineering works also appeared. One of the most famous, also connected with war work, was Archdale's Engineering, who had contracts for British small arms. Kinloch and Co. and the Royal Arsenal. Further housing appeared because of these new industries. With these important factories and railway sidings, a halt for the workers was constructed and a series of home guard defences set up to protect them. The railway bridge near Brickfields became a strong point with trenches dug in the gardens on the corner of Blackpool Road and Brickfields. An anti-tank gun and barricades would prevent German vehicles from turning into the Blackpool area. Sadly, by the 1970s, most of these companies began to decline, leaving the council to begin looking at rejuvenating and repurposing the area. From that moment on, after a series of projects, housing estates appeared where cottages once stood, industrial units made use of the munitions works, and in more recent years, the Blackpool and Elgar retail parks were built where Archdales and wards once stood. The lane was changed forever. Well, this is an article um, from Monday, September the 20th, and it is entitled Data on Sex Offenders. And it reads, New data has revealed how many sex offenders are living in Worcestershire. An FOI, I think that's Freedom of Information request, made to West Mercia Police sought to find out how many registered sex offenders are living in the county as of July 2021. According to the police data, a total of 783 registered sex offenders are living in North and South Worcestershire. And in South Worcestershire, which includes Worcester, Malvern, Evesham, there are currently 421 living in the community, the figures show. These individuals are currently being managed under, and the acronym is MAPA, M-A-P-P-A, Multi-Agency Public Protection Arrangement. MAPA is set to, um, MAPA is the set of arrangements through which the police, probation and prison services work to gather with other agencies to manage the risk posed by violent and sexual offenders living in the community in order to protect the public. Since 1997, anyone cautioned or convicted for a sexual offence, either adults or children, is put on the sex offenders register. Under the Sexual Offences Act, all of those on the Sex Offenders Register must register with the police within three days of their conviction or release from prison. How long a person remains on the register depends on the offence committed. Sex offenders sentenced to at least 30 months in prison remain on the register indefinitely, although some can apply to be removed after 15 years. Under England and Wales Child Sex Offender Disclosure Scheme in England and Wales, also known as Sarah's Law, 
the public can ask the police if someone that has contact with a child has a record of sexual offences. The scheme has rolled out across all of England and Wales for police forces since 2010. It came after the tragic murder of Sarah Payne in July 2000. Roy Whiting was convicted of the abduction and murder of Sarah on December 12, 2001 and sentenced to life in prison. After he was convicted, it was revealed that Whiting had previously abducted and sexually assaulted an eight-year-old girl and had served four years in prison. Sarah's mother, Sarah, campaigned to bring in a law which allowed people to know if dangerous offenders are living in their area. OK, pressure on food bank. Universal credit cuts and rising energy prices will cause a terrible crisis once the city's food bank as it faces rocketing demand. It is feared the removal of the £20 universal credit uplift, combined with rising energy costs and the end of the government's furlough scheme at the end of the month, will put unprecedented pressure on Worcester Food Bank supplies. Manager Graham Lucas said it has already witnessed a rise in child hunger, which has been particularly distressing. Staff and volunteers expect 50 tonnes of food will be distributed to desperate families and individuals before the end of the year. It has launched Every Meal Matters, an urgent harvest appeal for tin food donations in a bid to thwart the threat of more people having to skip meals this autumn. Already the charity is seeing rocketing demand for emergency food just days before universal credit claimants are set to see their payments reduced by £20 a week. Graham Lucas, Worcester Food Bank Manager, said there is a terrible crisis looming for low-income households and we're already seeing the impact at our warehouse. The rise we've witnessed in child hunger has been particularly distressing, but by donating a few tins of food during harvest, people can help us to ensure no adult or child we support has to skip meals. Research from the Trussell Trust found that one in five universal credit claimants are likely to skip meals when their payments are reduced from October. But a crisis is already taking shape in Worcester, with the food bank having fed 777 people during August, at more than 80% compared to the same month last year. It means volunteers are now giving out more food than they are receiving in donations, despite taking in nearly eight tonnes during August. Low income remains the biggest cause of referrals to food bank, with a growing number of people struggling to cover the cost of essentials. Volunteers are appealing to food bank supporters to donate tinned items that it could run short of, including tinned vegetables and fruit, cold meats, potatoes, rice pudding or custard. It hopes to have sufficient donations to help ensure no one is forced to skip meals due to the pressure of low income. The next article is about a very sensitive and controversial subject, assisted dying. And its title is, We Might Have Lost Precious Moments. The Bishop of Worcester has reiterated his opposition to assisted dying and said he believes his late wife may have chosen the option, taking away precious moments they shared at the end. The Right Reverend Dr John Inge was speaking after British Medical Association BMA members voted to adopt a neutral stance on assisted dying. Previously, the BMA has been opposed to a change in the law on assisted dying.
But after a vote, the un- the union now neither supports nor opposes attempts to change it. Bishop John said, I am opposed to assisted dying on religious grounds because I believe life is a gift, not a personal possession. But my opposition to it is also based on secular arguments. It's worth noting that the BMA has decided to adopt a neutral stance and has certainly not come out in favour. At the same time, almost all doctors and nurses involved in palliative care of the dying, those at the sharp end, are opposed to assisted dying. The legalisation of assisted dying would fundamentally change the relationship between patients and doctors. At present, I know that a doctor is duty-bound to do everything possible to save my life. Were assisted dying to be possible, that would not always be the case. Bishop John's wife, Denise Inge, died from abdominal sarcoma at the age of 51 in 2014. Speaking about that time, the bishop said, Had assisted dying been legal when my late wife was first diagnosed with inoperable cancer, I fear that in the stress of the moment she might have opted for it, thus denying herself and me and our family some precious times together. Not only might those who would be eligible for assisted dying feel that they ought to opt for it in order not to be a burden on others, it's also true that pressure might come from family. There were 300,000 cases of elder abuse recorded a year or two ago. Sadly, we can't always assume that the persons nearest and dearest will have their best interests at heart. Fundamentally, what might seem a victory for individual rights would, it seems to me, have a detrimental effect on society as a whole and result in some lives being seen as more valuable than others. The bishop has been a vocal opponent of changing the law on assisting dying, including six years ago urging MPs to vote against the assisted dying bill. MPs had a free vote in the Commons on that bill that would have allowed patients to end their lives if they have no more than six months to live, with it being defeated on a vote of 330 against 118 in favour. BMA's move to a neutral position was welcomed by some campaign groups, with Dignity in Dying Chief Executive Sarah Wooten branding it a victory for common sense. Well, this is a story from Tuesday, September the 21st, and it's entitled One Last Chance After Bat Attack on Car. A teenage father who attacked a car with a baseball bat while a man was inside has been given a last chance to turn his life around and keep out of trouble. William Jordan already had a conviction for possession of a blade in public and could have served a minimum term of detention of six months as a second strike weapons offence. But a Worcester judge said it would be unjust to impose an immediate term of imprisonment after hearing mitigation from William Dudley, the 18-year-old's barrister, at Worcester's Crown Court. The defendant of Walter Nash Road East, Kidderminster, had already admitted a possession of an offensive weapon and criminal damage following the incident in March. Mr Dudley said, there are, in my submission, some very positive glimmers of hope for this young man. This is a man who has a potential watershed moment in his life, where his life could go in one of two very different directions. 
while accepting that the offence crossed the custody threshold, he told the judge, this is now a father who stands before you. The barrister said his client was a, a ground worker with a man with genuine prospects, arguing that an immediate custodial sentence would result in the in being pulled out from un, the rug being pulled out from under him. This is a man who may well deserve one last chance. You are justified in taking a chance on him, he said. Judge Martin Jackson's sentencing said Jordan had turned 18 on March the 12th and nine days later was involved in this offence, which involved an attack on another male. He said he took a baseball bat to his car, smashed the windows and caused damage to it. By pleading guilty to the charge, you admitted that you had the baseball bat with the intention of causing injury. Accepting that Jordan was at a crossroads in his life, he also noted that the defendant had three previous convictions for criminal damage and also convictions for theft. The starting point for a second weapons offence, after the bladed article offence, is a minimum custodial sentence of six months within the sentencing guidelines. Judge Jackson told Jordan he could step back from a custodial sentence and that it would be unjust in his circumstances to impose one. At the age of 18, you are now entering the world of adult life. You have got yourself a job, he said, after reading a reference from his employer. You have now become a father. He told the defendant that, in his experience, parenthood brings about a change in attitude on your part of a young man like you. Very often, it's a stabilising factor. You have now got responsibility for that young child, he said. Judge Jackson imposed a two-year community order to include 20 rehabilitation activity requirement days, a two-month electronically tagged curfew, which will run daily between 9pm to 7am, and 160 hours of unpaid work. He must also pay £470 in compensation to the man whose car he damaged and at £340 in costs. John Brotherton, prosecuting, said he could not request the forfeiture and destruction of the baseball bat as it was never recovered. A restraining order will prohibit Jordan from having contacting the victim directly or indirectly for the next two years. He must not attend any address where the injured party is known to live or work for that period. A former drug addict has shared how he turned his life around after his addictions left him poverty-stricken and alone. Tony Mercer, 55, wants to share his struggle with cocaine and alcohol for more than two decades in an attempt to destigmatize addiction and encourage people who need help to make the first steps to recovery. Mr Mercer, who is now a public health consultant at Worcestershire County Council, said he understands what it takes to actually reach out and get help. He said it is so important we put a face and voice to people in recovery so that people realise that addiction can affect people from all backgrounds. Although I have always managed to hold down a job, my addiction encroached on other parts of my life. My relationships broke down and I faced severe financial hardship. He continued, The worst thing about addiction for me was the isolation. I could be surrounded by people but still feel alone. This was further exacerbated by the shame and guilt I felt. This is why a lot of recovery is centred around connection. This week he chaired a conference for National Recovery Month which recognises those in recovery and aims to remove the stigmas attached to addiction. He said, Recovery Month is about celebrating recovery and challenging stigma because the stigma can prevent people coming forward and getting the vital help they need. I've been fortunate. Working in public health, I've not had to face the stigma that so many people have, but it still takes a lot to accept you need help. We want people to know that treatment and support is available here in Worcestershire for those struggling with a drugs or alcohol problem, and support is available for their families too. 
In addition to his official public health role, Mr Mercer is a volunteer for Favour, Faces and Voices of Recovery, an advocacy charity promoting recovery. As part of National Recovery Month, Favour is coordinating a number of events to promote the theme Recovery is for Everyone. These events promote treatment and recovery, recognise the strength and resilience of people living in recovery and acknowledge service providers and community members who make recovery in all its forms possible. If you or someone you know needs support, the county's Drug and Alcohol Recovery Service is delivered by Cranston, Worcestershire. They can be contacted via email on cranstonworcestereferrals at cranston.org.uk or by phone on 0300-303-8200. The next article is headed Very Challenging Winter Lies Ahead and it's from the Chief Executive of Acorns Hospice, Toby Porter. Last week, the government announced its winter plan. The toolkit to combat COVID and the restrictions that could come into place if the NHS comes under pressure. From our point of view, being a care provider to some of the most vulnerable children and families in the local area, we think the plan is very sensible. We have important duty of care towards the children who stay at our hospices and towards the colleagues and volunteers who work there. It will be very likely to be a challenging winter for everyone. The high levels of infection circulating in society compared to 12 months ago are sobering. But the difference now is we have the vaccine and that's the key thing. All of us, particularly in health and social care, must do the best we can to restore our normal services. Children and families in the region have had very limited access to the normal help and support they depend upon for 18 months now. At Acorns, we know from speaking to families how difficult it has become over the course of this pandemic and how needed the services, like the ones being delivered from our hospice on the Bath Road, are. It was a joy to be at that very hospice last week to meet a very special friend of Acorns, former Worcester Warriors player Nick Baxter. Nick was there to donate a hugely generous cheque of £5,000 towards our work, thanks to Covid Safe UK, a venture the entrepreneur launched at the start of the pandemic. Nick is one of the most generous people we have the privilege to work with and has done so much for Acorns and so many other charities in the region. This donation means so much and will be spent on the vital services for children and families in Worcester and the surrounding counties that we deliver from our hospice here in the city. Well, this article is also from Tuesday, September 21st, and is entitled Leak Traced Pipe. A councillor has blasted seven Trent water for taking six months to identify a leak that led to more than 8,000 litres of water being lost, popular pass becoming unusable during the summer. Seven Trent has said it is unclear who was responsible for an abandoned leaky pipe at the beauty spot, and they fixed it anyway to put the pass back into use. 
We reported in August that several popular paths in the fairway of Tolladyne Road have been rendered impassable near to where work is ongoing to prepare the site for 16 affordable homes on the former Tolladyne Golf Course. At the time, social housing provider Platform Housing Group, which is behind the plans, blamed the contours of the land and extreme weather for the water overflow and it once the footings were in the water flow would stop. But earlier this month, residents complained the issue was still continuing despite a dry spell of weather. But it's now emerged that while Seven Trent returned to the site this week and investigated further, a leak was discovered and fixed. Warden City and County Councillor Andy Roberts, who represented the area where the development is taking place, said, It's sad that the job wasn't tackled six months ago when the loss would have been much less. I said I suspect it to be a leak in May, so it's six months of inactivity. It is a waste of purified water and those popular paths have not been able to be used all summer. The intervention of the Worcester News to highlight the issues was extremely helpful. This was also ineptitude when it was put down to the possibility being a runoff. It didn't take any imagination when we had good weather and it was still continuing to know that there was a leak. A spokesman for Seven Trent Water said, Our teams attended the site to cut off supply and prevent any further water escaping nearby. It's unclear who was responsible for the leaky pipe, but our engineers have carried out the repair anyway so the local community can continue to access the fairway. A new attempt will be made to get approval for a controversial plan to build affordable housing on the site of a former city car boot site next week. The proposal by developer Rooftop Housing would see 92 homes built on the former Ketch car boot site next to the A4440 Southern Link Road in Worcester. The plan was deferred over concerns about the design of the development's three-storey apartment block after councillors heard there were a long list of objections. Developers have now made minor design changes in the hope they will be enough to see the plan go through. Worcester City Council's planning committee meets next Thursday, actually that's today, to decide on the plan. When the plan was last discussed in July, Councillor Andy Roberts was particularly critical, calling the design wretched, with St Peter's Councillor Steve Mackey saying the apartment block would present a negative image to visitors coming into and going out of the city. A long list of objections were registered with Worcester County Council, sorry, City Council, during public consultation with St Peter's locals and parish councillors in Kemsey, saying surrounding roads were inadequate to cope with the planned number of homes and local schools would not be able to manage. A petition with 55 signatures against the plan was also submitted. St Peter's Parish Council said the design of the homes were poor and was concerned about the noise and pollution for future residents. Planning officers at Worcester City Council have again recommended the plan is approved by the committee having made the same suggestion at the meeting in July. A report due to be discussed by councillors at the planning committee meeting next week said... As amended, the proposed apartment buildings would be acceptable in terms of siting, size, scale, mass, design and appearance. The apartments would be set back from Broom Hallway to the north and Bath Road to the west, behind a 12 to 15 metre wide landscape buffer in the form of an acoustic bund, which would partly screen and shelter the development. This is a key landscape feature that would help to mitigate the visual impact of the proposed apartment buildings, particularly as the proposed landscaping matures. 
If approved, the home is which would form one part of a huge urban extension would be built between Broomhall Way and Taylor's Lane next to another rooftop housing site and a St Modwin site which was backed by Morven Hills District Council's Planning Committee earlier. And reported crimes rise. The number of crimes reported to police in Worcester increased by more than 10% in July, compared to the same time last year. A total of 881 crimes were reported in Worcester to West Mercia Police in July, the latest month available, compared to 788 in the same month last year, a rise of 11%. The most crimes were reported in the city's cathedral policing area, which covers the city centre, where 280 crimes were reported in the month, including 141 reports of violence and sexual offences, 32 reports of shoplifting and 30 public order offences. There were also 17 reports of criminal damage and arson, six reports for possession of a weapon, three burglaries, one robbery and seven bike theft reported in the month. Whilst reports of crime did increase in July compared to the same month last year, the county was still in the midst of a national lockdown brought on by COVID pandemic. In July last year, whereas lockdown measures were beginning to ease throughout the same month this year. Police figures reveal 152 crimes were reported in Warnden, including 77 reports of violence and sexual offences, 20 public order offences, 15 reports of criminal damage and arson and 11 vehicle crimes. As many as 103 crimes were reported in the Arboretum and Clanes area, including 53 reports of violence and sexual offences, 13 burglaries, 10 reports of criminal damage and arson and 9 public order offences. A total of 126 crimes were reported in Battenhall and Nunnery in the month, including 67 of violence and sexual offences, 13 of criminal damage and arson, 12 public order offences and 8 reports of shoplifting. This is compared to the 117 crimes reported in Gorse Hill and Rainbow Hill, including 70 reports of violence and sexual offences, 12 reports of criminal damage and arson, 12 of public order offences and 11 reports of shoplifting. And finally, a total of 103 crimes reported in St John's and Bedwardine, including 48 reports of violence and sexual offences, 13 reports of criminal damage and arson, 9 burglaries and 8 reports of shoplifting. Well, now we've reached the end of this recorded edition. Thank you to Moira, Jules and John for reading and recording and to Carol and her team for admin provision. We hope you've enjoyed listening and that you'll be back for more next time. So it's best wishes from me, Evelyn, and from all the team. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. And now the obituaries. Albert William, known as Bert Davis, 
passed away peacefully at Team Court Residential Home on September the 16th, 2021, aged 93 years. Funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, October the 12th at 12.15pm. Family flowers only, please. Beryl Gilman sadly passed away on Thursday the 2nd of September, aged 80 years. Flowers are welcome. Donations can be given at the crematorium in aid of Dementia UK. Kyung Chang passed away peacefully at Worcestershire Royal Hospital on September the 11th, 2021, aged 86 years. Funeral service will take place on Tuesday the 5th of October at 1.45pm at Worcester Crematorium Chapel, followed by interment at Astwood Cemetery. Barrington Raymond, known as Barry or Baz Briggs, sadly passed away after a long illness, 11th of September 2021, aged 70 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday the 29th of September at 3.15pm. Family flowers only, please. Flossie Brenda Boswood passed away peacefully at 12 Sandpiper Close on the 7th of September 2021, aged 91 years. Funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday the 29th of September at 10am. Donations to Alzheimer's Society, a, a collection box at the service. James Tustin passed away on the 2nd of September 2021, aged 93 years. Funeral service to be held at St Mary's Church, Garford, on the 30th of September 2021 at 11.30am. Family flowers only. Monica Allison passed away on the 15th of August 2021, aged 90 years. Funeral service to be held at All Saints Hollybush Church, near Lebri on Friday the 24th of September at 2pm. Family flowers only, please. Eric Desmond Frederick Arnold passed away peacefully on the 26th of August 2021, aged 95 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Friday the 24th of September at 12.15pm. Family flowers only, donations to Cancer Research UK or Age UK in Melbourne. Alfred John Davis of Worcester, formerly of Clifton-upon-Team, passed away peacefully after a short illness on the 29th of August 2021, aged 72 years. The funeral service has taken place. Mary Maureen Teresa Jackson passed away at home on September the 5th, 2021, aged 88 years. Funeral services will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Friday, the September the 24th at 10.45am. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, for St Richard's Hospice. Louis James Finch of Offenham passed peacefully at Worcester Royal Hospital on the 12th of September, aged 83 years. Funeral service at St Mary and St Milburgh Church, Offenham, on Thursday 30th of September at 12.30, followed by a burial in the churchyard. Family flowers only, please. Hazel Harris of Callow End passed away peacefully on 13th of September, aged 98 years. Funeral service and burial at St Peter's Church, Poek, on Wednesday, September the 29th at 12 noon. 
donations for Acorns Children's Hospice. Jean Mary Mansell of Kingston Avenue and formerly of Fernal Heath passed peacefully away in the care of Henry Grange Nursing Home on Wednesday the 15th of September, aged 93 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday the 30th of September at 11.30am. No flowers by request, please, but donations if desired for Dementia UK. Celia Newport of Hallow passed away peacefully on the 10th of September, aged 99 years. Funeral service at St Philip and St James's Church Hallow on Tuesday the 28th of September at 11.15am, followed by a private committal at Worcester Crematorium. No flowers by request, but donations if desired for Arthritis Research UK. Janet Elizabeth, or Jan Robery, passed away peacefully at home on the 7th of September, aged 67 years. Funeral at St Mary's Church, Kemsey, on Friday, October the 1st, at 1pm, followed by private internment at Norton Churchyard. Family flowers only. Donations if desired for Kemsey Church.